Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel dot EU on May the 17th, 2007. Last night's talk was about the culture creation industry an industry which has always really been there. Plato talked about it a long time ago in that ordinary people, normal people have certain things which go to create a culture their customs, if you like, their, their rituals their belief systems their mode of dress, their their dancing, singing, all of those things go up to make a culture. He also said that culture was created from the top down. In other words, it was authorized by an elite. He understood being a member of the aristocracy that Thoughts, which can become ideas and if expressed properly by someone who can put the thought into words easily understood, which motivate the people, could get out of hand and an elite could lose control. He wanted the arts, the major arts, drama, music, and fashion for clothes, even some poetry to be licensed. He understood the power to motivate people through emotion. The difference between the psychopath and ordinary people is that psychopaths do not experience empathy for other people. They can have connections, attachments to their own offspring and peer group. But technically they feel no real empathy for people who hurt. They can't imagine how you hurt or even why. But what they can understand is how if they emulate the reactions to certain events and copy People have observed reacting to certain events in a perfect way. They can pass as normal people. They become very good actors. It's a trait. In fact, in some of the major psychiatric studies, one type of the psychopathic group listed politicians and actors in the same category. Religion, of course, has always been used as a form of control over the public. However, every religion has human traits put within the stories so that ordinary people will identify with the characters in the stories. Family, offspring, Toil, struggle, success, all of these things. Heartbreak, death, joy. They're all wrapped up in religious stories for us to all identify with. But along comes the rules of the game. The elite have never followed the rules which they make sure that those below them follow. In the 1800s, a movement was begun, authorized from the establishment, the term used for the real government of Britain, the ones you don't see or hear about, the real wealth in Britain. They created the Oxford movement, which was supposed to be a, a revival, or a sort of renaissance to an extent, where British culture would be pushed across their dominion, 
their dominion being the Commonwealth countries which had been conquered and settled. But it was a far-reaching goal not to to help people gain a freedom. They always get people to push and then to believe they're free. That way they work harder. It's hard to get production, top production out of people if they know they're not free. But it's also much easier bureaucratically to handle a large part of the world with different cultures and peoples and backgrounds if you can make them all into a common type based on the British model. And they updated their history to an extent and rewrote a lot of it where kings and queens were romanticized in the past as benevolent people sent there by God. They put out professors into universities under new designations, new categories to motivate the young Ivy League types for recruits such as Cecil Rhodes amongst many others. The real intent was to create a system which would manage, as I say, a large population of the world who would adopt British attitudes. Therefore, the experts who dealt with culture creation could manage them all much more easily, less less specialised departments. It was also meant to send out youngsters who were recruited from Oxford and Cambridge and others across the world to basically plant the staff or the flag for all the world's resources. A long, long term plan. Now they also knew they'd have reactions as they forced peoples who had never gone through an industrial era into new kinds of industry and mining and so on. They knew the format, they knew that unions would form eventually, movements would form. They'd been battling them already in the 1800s. So they ensured that many of the countries got a large dose of religion. They sent missionaries out with trainloads sometimes of Bibles to help indoctrinate the natives of countries that Britain was now into. The higher societies in Britain, such as the Royal Society, also recruited their members from the same aristocracy. They would also take some of the lesser, but the intellectual class non-aristocratic who could be perhaps allowed in eventually if they worked towards the great work as they called it again Plato talked about this in the Republic where there'd be the guardians there'd be a form of middle class of bureaucrats and soldiers and so on then there'd be the its down below the commoners and Plato said they could recruit those occasional individual who by a fluke had intellect because they were very, very snobbish and they believed that commoners would always be commoners because they believed even that time ago that breeding was what mattered. Breeding of the right people with the right people to gain intellect. The long-term plan was also to merge the Americas together initially first, then back with the Britain into the old global empire dream begun in the 1500s, at least admitted to then, by John Dee. They also knew that people would catch on to the same old robber barons under a sheepskin would eventually plunder their countries when they saw corporates coming in to start mining up, for instance, in Africa and different places. They knew that you don't leave things to form by themselves. 
you give them leaders who will do most of the talking for the people, they'll be backed by the people, say all the right things, and then you go through endless negotiations which can go on forever. And by that time, you've often accomplished your mission. A generation has born and died. Their offspring are now working down the mines and they think it's all quite normal, including the conditions they work in. They also have no previous knowledge of how it used to be, how they used to live. And the topic I talked about last night, the departments of culture creation were not new. This was just a different format. And actually it was one level of the whole culture creation industry run by the CIA in conjunction with MI6 that specialized in giving everyone who lived through that era from the 50s onwards a thought that they were achieving something. The left-wing groups, including the communist groups, many of them fell for it because the CIA paralleled, because they understood the strategy and the organizational setup of the communist system. They emulated the same thing and funded them heavily. Many of the communists would go over thinking that was still a communist organization they, were, they belonged to, never knowing that they were being won over, and then new directions implanted, which they then ran with. It was about that time that all the crazy art appeared, nihilistic, where paint was splashed on canvases, and, and Joe Public saw professors and art critics talking hogwash about how wonderful and meaningful all this crap was. A form of nihilism was induced. At the same time, because the public again today have little recollection or knowledge of the recent history because the folk clubs had blossomed across the Western world. Folk clubs called folk clubs because they'd always existed in every country where people would bring an instrument in and sing folk songs. Some of them were hundreds of years old. But they also became a form for beefing off about present-day circumstances. Many of the communist sympathizers and left-leaning, there was lots of left-leaning people because they knew what they had gone through in the Depression, which wasn't that long before it, really. The U.S. and, and the West didn't come out of the Great Depression until uh, and because of World War II, when suddenly governments that were bankrupt found billions to create the war industry because the whole crash was a setup towards a further objective to a new deal we've had new deals since then and whenever you hear that term be very very careful they mean what they say a big change is coming so the departments of cultural creation started their own folk clubs, funded better ones. And they had their, some of their own agents go into those clubs and organize them and to introduce what they called Americanism into it. So you'd be communist or lefty as long as you loved America, you see. And they, get, they started rewriting American history, which had been pretty brutal prior to World War Two. People forget about how old Rockefeller had ordered the militias out to machine gun tent cities down of strikers not so long before that they brought in PR men specialized PR men yes even back then they had them one of them was Mackenzie King one of them was of the family of Gates to remake old Rockefeller's image as a great benefactor to mankind 
He didn't have to say anything, just get shown around miners' quarters and shake a few hands, photo opportunities, and the paid journalists would write all the rest of the rubbish. And it worked very well, and that's why you have the Rockefeller Foundation today that heads pretty well all sides of every conflict by funding them. The real super-government, which is unelected, uses many, many arms and owns many arms. And the foundations, the great foundations, were a means to channel the funds to their objectives. Still are. Also to combat the folk clubs, which were very popular. The era came when they brought in the electric guitar. It suddenly had disc jockeys. And suddenly you had groups that popped out of nowhere to mime on stage, and that's pretty well what they did. Tapes were played, they mimed, the guitars weren't plugged in. They'd be on television too, because session guys did it even back then. With uh, these popular teeny bopper type songs. This was to attract the young over the youth, because you must always go for the youth if you plan a form of long-term control and change. And sometimes top lyricists from the U.S. New York were brought in to write uh, even the most frivolous songs, which would appeal to the young and uh, make sure they were not involved in any of the more serious things of life. Suddenly, they had a teenage, and they called them the teenage group, teens. wasn't used before then. Separate the generations, make that group think they're special, and that they're on a cutting edge of society. Life looks wonderful and rosy, and they don't know what's going on. And they certainly won't be involved in anything closely approaching something radical. So bizarre art was there, ridiculous stuff, and suddenly you have the loud, loud, blaring road shows with tractor-trailer loads of equipment and mixing boards, amplifiers and speakers, cables, and technician crews heavily funded to put them on the road to get all of this bizarre almost nihilistic culture started in some ways they also organized big events the people thought that they were their own events as they always must like the big Woodstock festival widely advertised in advance multi-thousands arrived there of the hippies to listen to the new electric bands the CIA were everywhere to make sure the drugs flowed in it was also one of the biggest experiments and observational exercises on the effects of hallucinogenic drugs ever staged People were not getting busted all over the place, even if someone in local town was selling a tab of acid on the street and getting busted, they left the people at the festival alone by orders. Before they'd come up with the biotechnological means of controlling mass peoples, including nations, they'd toyed with the idea of using drugs on the people like Huxley had suggested to control them all and they have done many experiments along this line but part of as I say was to get people away from the folk clubs where the serious stuff was mixed in with traditional stuff and human stuff the stuff that people cared about the emotions certain artists that had been some were made to be heroes. Some of them, of course, didn't write their own stuff either. 
would change over publicly, make a big fanfare about changing to electric guitar, joining which would be the winner. Bob Dylan was one of those guys who did that. Knowing a good segment that had been led, well, created to follow him, would, would follow him in what he was doing. And many of the other people who were activists in that area of entertainment got so disillusioned they just simply gave up. I can remember when I was playing in Denmark and one day I was in Fun in Odense or Odense in Fun and uh, there was an art some famous artist there uh, supposedly famous with a gallery and he was a big sort of heavy guy fat guy with a beard like Santa Claus I went in there and there were just two long lines of paintings along all sides of the walls all the same paintings on the top just two lines going from one corner to the next diagonally the next painting was a fraction smaller and fraction smaller all the way down and the one below it was an African face mask painting with the same idea. The next one was smaller, the next one was smaller, all the way around. And I, I, I stood there and watched him as he went through his repertoire of, uh, what shall we call it? Bovine fecal matter. To the, a couple of customers who could afford to pay, obviously. And I noticed with these guys before, they were all getting grants from their countries, and the CIA basically was funding most of the grant giving to promote all this stuff. They do a lot of hand-waving when they're trying to get their points across to to interpret all those things that you don't quite see. And people being snobbish to begin with hate to, to show up that they're not quite so intelligent, so they, they're terribly polite when people wave their arms about and and point to little splodges on the canvas and he went through his rigmarole and I watched him and listened and then the people eventually left and he saw me and I was I had my sort of head tilted in a a gesture and I could pretty well sense him he was going to try try to sell to this guy and he walked over as walking over I just burst out laughing at the farce of it all and he recognized me as a person who obviously saw through it all, and he burst out laughing too. And we had a good chat about the whole farce of the whole thing. This was happening all across the Western world. The funding was given out by governmental agencies and foundations, funneled to by the CIA to them, to promote this kind of stuff. This eventually ended up with even fetuses in jars of urine, uh, fecal matter on the walls or on canvas anything was called art it was meant to be nihilistic to break the bonds of the past where you expect or see what you expect to see which is something which you can relate to not stuff that would drive you to suicide and once again we had it with the like Plato himself they didn't miss the fashion industry they all work in concert in the culture creation industry. They had the miniskirts blossom or shrink in the 60s. The plastic boots, plastic skirts. And you would see the, the women at the bus stops in Britain going to their work in the morning with under the sleet and snow, standing shivering with this miniskirt and the plastic boots and plastic coat and plastic skirt waiting for the bus today it's much the same you see them with their exposed midriff with their belly button there and something hanging from it some piece of metal a pin or something freezing but they must follow fashion the people follow fashion because they're given what they think are their age group peers as superstars who it doesn't matter if they can sing a note or not, it doesn't matter. They're often picked out of lineups 
given a fake name, told what they're going to sing. They're petty actors, really. Some could actually be called other things as too. And that's the way it's done, always has been. But more so since the 1950 onwards. And it was always well understood that a, a populace who could be involved in fighting all the or fighting for rights, for instance, if they're kept stoned by enough supply of cheap drugs in a climate where promiscuity is pushed and the pill was pushed like crazy at the same time is another important part of it. They were they were hardly likely to be of any problem to the establishment. The same establishment had it mapped out pretty well how long this Cold War was to last because they already had the top of the Kremlin in their pocket, if not at the beginning. They had it a good way through when the famous four escaped from Britain, McLean and Philby and so on. Philby went to be one of the heads of the KGB. So here he is working for MI6 and now he's working for KGB at the top. They were in cahoots at the top because the intellectuals always, even if they really had started off separately, even if that had been true, which it wasn't really, intellectuals will always bond first together regardless of what side they're on. Then they find their commonalities and then they can work together. These strategies are ancient. It also been known through real history, not the public library type, that when conquerors take over a country, those existing bureaucrats have no problem quickly aligning themselves with the powerful the new powerful ones and assimilating themselves with them to ensure their own survival at a higher level of living, the one that they're accustomed to. Standard procedure. The most popular magazines that appeared on the bookstores aimed at the intellectuals were fairly well always written by people who worked for the CIA. They didn't care so much about the ordinary people. They would let the the new music take care of that, the new norm, the new morale. They had to concentrate on the intellectuals who had to be won over to the new American way of dealing with things, the new Americanism. However... They also fronted magazines for the women's lib movement, the entire women's lib movement. And the most popular of those encouraged all kinds of bizarre behavior, created a kind of narcissistic image for the woman to follow, a form of self-worship, the goddess worship. And we know those who led that part of what was the New Age movement which was literally run by the CIA and at the top it still is because they knew where they wanted to go they knew they'd eventually get into the 21st century they wanted the end of the family they wanted control of the children separate from the family and if you go into the Agenda 21 documents you'll find If you read it very carefully, it's all in there. I think it was Gloria Steiner that set up with a big magazine to suddenly back her. That whole self-worship yourself at the altar. And people emulated it. And it's still going on today with Sylvia Brown and so on who leads you a merry dance until you start saying that you're God. It was comical to see Shirley MacLaine in an interview or a documentary on her 
who'd swallowed all the stuff. Twirling in a circle on the beach while a helicopter went higher and higher, and she's shouting, I am God, I am God. And so it got higher and higher, and he had a squeaky voice, a little squeaky voice like a mouse saying, I am God, I am God. It's so comical, but then Weishaupt said himself, Oh foolish man, and he meant woman too, what can you not be made to believe? It was also known that after the so-called Cold War was ended, and they knew when it would be ended too, at the top, that is, both sides, they'd have to move on to the next step quickly. And they were already setting up what they called the Earth Armies, the promotions of the greening of the planet, the final one that would take all rights away from ordinary people whose lives must be changed forever in a completely new direction. Lives run by experts on every level. The intellectuals love that idea. They think they are the natural aristocracy. The term first used by Thomas Jefferson. But it was a a downfall to a few who recently learned that all of the books they'd read were written by people who worked for the CIA, who had help from the specialized department on cultural and psychological warfare. They were being their minds were being played with as they read the books. Their ideas were given to them, being formed, their opinions were being formed for them. It's not difficult when you have unlimited funding to put all of this into effect. It's still ongoing today. The culture industry is promoting the next phase, mainly aimed at the young again, because they're the ones who must accept the changes they're going to face, the big changes. And those people who are willing to sell their souls out to become a star, however short or long-lived it might be, were certainly helped up to the top if they went along with their role and their act and kept their mouth shut as to the real source of their material. This is the real world. The real world is nothing but incredible deception. McCarthy was partly right for the wrong reasons. He was in one frame of mind, but he was out of the loop of what was really going on. He didn't know the agenda. He didn't know that all those he perceived as communists, who many of them had been card-carrying communists or, or Trotskyites, were actually working for the CIA. And the State Department had been filled with them because they were looking forward towards the 21st century, the new American century. It was a century where there'd be no opposition of forces, where the new boss man would take over, the boss man with authority unelected, the world of experts and laws to back him up and force to back him up. I've often said, you know, if there was a Jesus and a Jesus came back today, he'd have to interrogate Matthew, Mark, Luke and John intensely because he'd find one was the KGB, one was MI6, one was CIA, another one was Mossad. And for Paul, who was to be the universalist to bring the philosophy to all outside peoples 
you'd find Paul was an agent of the United Nations. To continue along the old spy stuff, what's happening in the world as people slumber, play, become engrossed in the little made-up scandals in Hollywood or their sports and their rights have been taken away one by one every day not by recent planning but by planning which was planned long ago again the Saturday Star I seldom buy the paper because you know what's coming if you've been watching this for years and studying it it's uh, it's predictable, very predictable. And you know, even when you read this stuff, most people will still be diverted by tonight's news with the latest nonsense and hoopla and drama. But there are people who are conscious. There are a few who are conscious and who follow the same lines of thought as I do and who have done their homework over the years, and they know what's coming down. So, Toronto Star, May the 12th, 2007, at the bottom, or near the bottom, or the middle of the page, a little bit here, stuck between everything else. It says, Ottawa, by Tonda McCharles. A Canadian no-fly list of people to be barred from boarding domestic and international airline flights is set to take effect June 18th, just as the busy summer flying season gets underway. The move nearly six years after the 9-11 terrorist attacks on the United States amounts to a flight blacklist of people reasonably suspected. Well, there's your broad spectrum by federal officials as immediate threats to the safety of commercial aircraft passengers or crew. This is already implemented in the U.S., and it's actually in Canada too, it's just that they're making it more official. Under the rules, as passengers check in for flights, whether at kiosks or counters, their names, and it's continued on A4, their names will be automatically screened against the government's list known as the Passenger Protect Program. Isn't that beautiful? Passenger Protect Program. Everything's double-speak in the psychopathic world, you see. The no-fly list will be drawn up by Transport Canada with input from RCMP and CSIS, Canadian Security Intelligence Service, Big CIS. If a name is red-flagged as a possible match with a name on the no-fly list, the traveller will be directed to a flight agent who will contact Transport Canada for a decision on whether to allow boarding. Airlines are responsible for protecting the passengers' confidentiality as they give you complete body searches and cavity searches. People denied access to a flight will be able to challenge their inclusion on the list, but in the short haul they will be grounded and the airport or local police will be notified. Critics say the plan will not make air travel safer and will likely lead to the kinds of false positive identification of people that has plagued a similar list in the United States. The most celebrated example involved Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy, who was barred from boarding a flight when he was wrongly identified as being on the list. Infants have also been banned. As well, critics worry that it will prove almost impossible for those wrongly included to have their names removed from the list, and that's a fact. The federal government says it will provide a non-judicial and efficient mechanism for individuals to appeal their listing through a Transport Canada Office of Reconsideration. So we're a new bureau here, an Office of Reconsideration. That office may submit the file for a review by an independent external advisor who is not part of the initial identification of the name for the list. The advisor would be expected to make a recommendation to the minister on whether the person stays on the list within 30 working days. And if the person still contests the decision, they will have the opportunity of pursuing other legal avenues, such as the federal courts. See the documents. That presumably means first seeking the court's leave 
to apply for judicial review. Details will be outlined in government regulations to be published next week, but Conservative Transport Minister Lawrence Cannon and Public Safety Minister Stockwell Day unveiled parts of the package via news release yesterday. The new rules will apply to all passengers who appear to be 12 years of age or older. The government says that it is consistent with the definition of a child under Canadian law, Criminal Code and Youth Criminal Justice Act. Overseas travel already requires a passport. For domestic travel, passengers will require one piece of valid government-issued photo ID that shows name, date of birth and gender, such as a driver's license or a passport or two pieces of valid government-issued non-photo ID, at least one of which shows the name, date of birth and gender, such as birth certificate. Lawyer Lorne Waldman the lawyers love this stuff because there's, you know, there's new layers of bureaucrats with every law that's passed and lawyers go along with them. They love this, a whole new field of law, you know, and appeals and all that. Lawyer Lorne Waldman, who represented Mahar Arar, added that until now the Canadian government has appeared to have an informal list. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that, eh? Informal list that forced people like Arar through extra security until he was exonerated of all suspicion by Justice Dennis O'Connor. Mehar, every time he flew, and until the, the O'Connor report was released, always had to go through extra security screening. Clearly there was some kind of list being used. Well, there is, you see, after 9-11, the plan that had already been formulated, and they're not mentioning it here, meant total integration of the security forces. And in fact, they had been for years before 9-11. It's been here for a long, long time on the higher levels. They knew the lower levels don't know what's going on. We believe it was likely just Canadian airlines using the U.S. list. Erar, an Ottawa engineer, was detained in 2002 during a stopover at New York's JFK airport and sent to Syria where he was held without charges. doesn't mention here he was, he was tortured as well. Walden questioned whether any process for challenging the listing of an individual's name could work, given that intelligence information would be kept secret on the basis of national security. Oh, it covers such a wide range of evil and ills, doesn't it? The information for each listed person is to be reviewed at least once every 30 days, the government says. The consequences to people in our society today, especially where being able to move from point A to point B is often essential for people to earn their livelihood, can be quite serious, said Waldman. New Democrat MP Joe Comartin, Windsor-Tecumseh, that's his area, said it was clear from the past committee testimony by government officials that there is no intent to allow the government's information to be reviewed by the individual targeted or give you any reasonable mechanism to get off the list. In other words, we're being told the two sides of the story, which you can get the truth somewhere in the middle. My first question is, who are the independent people going to be? That's the ones who review your case. And are they going to have access to the information or are they simply going to have an intelligent officer come forward and say, we have information, this person is a threat? and it's national security information. So that's all we're going to tell you. That's exactly what I would expect would happen. Any review is useless if you don't have enough information to contest it. Privacy Commissioner Jennifer Stoddart has already expressed concerns about the government's plan, warning in August 2005 that it could be a serious intrusion into the rights of travellers in Canada, the rights of privacy and the rights of freedom of movement. She was unavailable for comment yesterday, but her spokesperson, Florence Nguyen, said our views are still the same. This is the real thing that's going on, real real happenings, which are tucked away in little bits of the paper amongst all the junk and the bizarre stuff so that it's all surrealistic. And every little person, every individual is thinking it will not affect me. It's quite interesting when you know that part of the, the old Stalinist policy or communist policy was to encourage all the bad things within their country, the enemy countries, 
to be infiltrated, to rise to a boiling fever of revolt and revolution or protest. Most things really just unorganized protest. And they would expect the, the Western capitalist countries then to react in a totalitarian manner which would further aggravate the situation. And then, of course, that would actually encourage more people to start protesting. But you see now that there really is no opposition anywhere. You're seeing the big fascist mailed glove come out in the open. Still with the sheep wool wrapped around it, mind you, because, as they say, it's for your own safety. You can't have freedom and safety. You can't have them both. It's a terrifying world out there. never used to be so terrifying when they had a supposed enemy that they were fighting through the Cold War. So they gave you credit cards and lots of entertainment. And for the first time, perhaps, for a short time, a decent living standard for more people. Well, you see, there's no need for that anymore. There's no need for that anymore. They don't have to mollycoddle you and waste some of their profit on spoiling you. So it's time to start pulling all the goodies back in and bringing in the restrictive structure. Because after all, we're all just really peasants. And if not one of the upper crust and one of the intelligentsia, then you're one of the common people. And commoners are just at the lowest end of the totem pole of social Darwinism. Your genes have progressed as far as they're likely to go, according to the experts at the top. So, in all ages, as Huxley said, you give them bread and circuses, and under a scientifically controlled society, he saw no reason why the elite couldn't run the world forever through a scientific indoctrination and using scientific means of even electronic, bioelectric control. Uh, the equipment's all there. It's old stuff. It, it works. We're like fish in a big net. The net seems to lay flat on the bed of the ocean. And we're all feeding just over it. Now is coming up. And the big drawstring at the top is pulling us up and it's tightening and closing. And we're still feeding. That's the idea. Keep the fish feeding till the very end. Then you haul them up out of the, the ocean and dump them on the deck. How do you manage populations? You think it's a, a new science? It's an ancient science. Ordinary people go through milestones right through their life, male and female. Every generation has the same instincts, drives, desires. Cater to them, keep them immersed in those areas, feed them trivia, throw credit cards at them, or free food or bread and circuses or wine. And you can bring them to the stage where you can pull the rug from underneath them. Then they beg to their masters to help them. Their masters expect this, and that's why the British Ministry of Defence published nine pages of its, I think, 90-page document in the, the Guardian about a month ago of what they expect within the next 30 years. And all the weaponry, they have arrayed to cope with it. And my goodness, what they're saying is, you see, they expect this. This is not something that's a vague, vague possibility out of thousands of possibilities. This is what they see happening because they know at the top what their agenda is, the implementation schemes, and where and when they'll have incredible protests against what's happening. And for the public, Joe Public, to protest about something means things are bad. They don't do anything until their backs are against the wall, and then they become a rabble, generally unorganized. That's the history of the world, 
It's the history that the elites are taught from childhood. So nothing is happening by chance and nothing is being left to chance. The Soviet experiment has become modified, updated, perfected for the world because the CIA said years ago that after studying all the systems of controlling the public, they did recognize that the Soviet communist system was the best method for controlling the people. And it's been worked on to improve it. All the techniques have been imported. All the experts of the Soviet system were recruited. The elite never waste knowledge. Never. Like the, the burning of the Library of Alexandria if you think they really destroyed all that without the copies because they had other libraries with the same copies. They didn't write one copy of a manuscript. They never destroy knowledge. Knowledge is power, especially when it has formulas of history in it because the formulas, like mathematic formulas, you can put them out in the same sequence and the public will react the same way in any age. Plato talked about that. After World War II, the West, even before it was over, They already had their list of scientists they wanted to import from Germany under Operation Paperclip because they don't waste knowledge. They employ them and give them good-paying jobs because psychopaths who can work very hard at tremendous weaponry and weapons of mass destruction are never wasted. Same thing with the Soviet system. They're all employed by the West. The difference with my talks and other people like me, if they're there, are that I don't bring in the the sexy stuff, you know, the sex and and scandals and and a bit of violence to entertain you. Uh, The things that affect the limbic system, the primal system in nature, to keep you bemused and amused. Facts as they are, are hard for people to swallow. And the enormity of what is happening, when it hits people, the few who can understand it and allow themselves to to see for what it is, it overrides everything else. It overrides small ambitions. It overrides all the things you're trying to do now, all the plans that you thought you'd made for the future. It overrides everything. Some people can handle it, some cannot. Many will not and won't even look at it because it's too terrifying. They prefer the six o'clock news version that gives them tidbits of why they must be controlled. And like people in all ages, when they come under a totalitarian form of rule, they never suspect that they will be on anybody's list because they think they're good people. They obey all the laws they make their lives an open book they have nothing to hide as they say and they're even more shocked when the big authorities hit them for some reason or other, which they do no one is left alone once this uh, sort of pariah system takes full effect terror is the weapon that must be implemented on people's always is to get everyone to quiver and shake and obey to the very end, even if it's to a firing squad or a gas chamber, or no doubt some new contraption you walk into, like an old Star Trek series, and they simply evaporate you. They probably say it's more hygienic. And people do go to the bitter end, because in their little head, in their little world, they refuse to believe, they cannot comprehend, this is actually happening to them people will behave the same in all ages normal people cannot believe that that which they would never do to anyone else could be done to them by other people that's why psychopathic elites can get away with it they believe they're being pragmatic about overpopulation, of course, unmanageable levels, 
of society. Inefficiency. Sustainability. Economics. is practical to them. If they have a problem they foresee, or if they claim there's a problem, solve it. That's what they tell the inferiors, solve it. Make it so. That's the world we live in. And it's coming down all around us under a pre-planned event written about before the events happen, happened and by the Project for New American Century and other books written by those in the club. And we're living through the implementation of it. And it took international cooperation through a society at the very top, worldwide, to have it all set up before 9-11 even happened. I've often said you can't see what's beyond the mountain until you climb up it. And it's hard going. Many can't start even getting up the base, will not move. Others try and get up and turn back. It's too scary. There's nothing new under the sun except the technology that's now in use on such an incredible scale of monitoring, watching. As they say themselves, it's a total information network. The trick has been to make the people, for the first time, have no indignancy about being watched, listened to, spied upon. After all, you're all good, aren't you? I'm a good citizen. I do what I'm told. I drink my six-pack. I watch the sports. I joke about sex. Yada, yada, yada. I don't busy myself in politics or what's happening in the world. That's what they think is going to keep them safe. Well, when tyrants come on a roll, there's no safety for any of the ordinary people. They want the population brought down drastically. They have been doing it through covert methods so far, never disclosed to the public. Sterility is at an incredible rate. And you won't be told why. They can't tell you why, obviously. Because we all live in democracies, don't we, where everything's out in the open. As the show goes on for the public consumption. I'm up to my eyes in mail, electronic and written. And I kid you not, I've got a, I'm, I'm behind about two months. The orders go out the next day. There's no problem with them. It's getting back to answer letters, some of which you must. Uh, some are from young people who are in distress, etc. It's a one-man band. not easy to do all this. So for those I haven't got back to, please bear with me. My day rushes in. I have. I don't just sit here. I don't sit here at all except to do this talk. And some of us have to do what we're doing. If you have nothing but your own personal integrity, and you lose that, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. From Hamish and myself, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. Thank mm-hmm. you.